All right, so we're in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, and today's lesson is about a treasure. And it's, it's, it's a hidden treasure. It's something that is, is uh, housed in a common thing whose appearance and whose owner is unremarkable. It's common. It's, uh, a, it seems like it has little value. And, of course, the greatest athlete, the greatest athlete that ever lived was like that. The good news to us. What is man that God gave him such glory? We're not much. We're just made out of dirt, you know. God made us out of the dirt and the ground, and all of everything, all the elements of our body is literally the same thing that's in the dirt. We're not much, uh, but God made us in his image, and he gave us the honor and the stewardship to rule over his creation. And God uses believers to communicate the absolute truth, which is the word of God. He's given that to us to communicate to the world. The church is God's mediator on earth. So I'm like David. What is man that God gave him such glory? You know, there was a movie last year called Heartbreak Ridge about Desmond Doss. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy or saw the movie. It was a really awesome movie. He was a blue-collar hillbilly, not much to look at, just a regular old guy, you know, talked funny. He joined the Army in World War II as a conscientious objector and refused to even touch a gun. And so he was in boot camp, you know, in training camp. He was this skinny, goofy-looking, funny-talking hillbilly, and his commanders made fun of him and tried to get rid of him. They tried to run him off, and he, he wouldn't let him do it. His captain during basic said he was the worst excuse for a soldier he'd ever seen, and he was a coward because he wouldn't touch a gun. And then, of course, when he does go into the war uh, at, at Okinawa, the big battle at Okinawa, he served on the front lines as a medic, saving lives. And one night after this big battle, U.S. forces that had terrible casualties, and they retreated and left all these wounded guys out there uh, on the battlefield at night, and they all went back to their lines, and Desmond Dawes stayed out there. And he went out on the battlefield and saved 75 soldiers who would have died if he hadn't carried them all in. It's just really an incredible story. And you can't help but think, how did that skinny hillbilly do that? He picked each one of those guys up physically and carried them back to the cliff and let them down with a rope and saving their lives. And uh, when they asked him afterwards how he did it, he said, God gave me the strength. And after each guy I saved, I prayed, Lord, please help me. Just let me help. Let me get one more. Lord, help me get one more. And he just kept doing that all night. Afterwards, the same captain who had made fun of him at boot camp said, you're the bravest man in the company. And Desmond Doss received the highest honor, the Medal of Honor that our country could give him. And there was just something supernatural inside that common-looking man. And, of course, it was the Spirit of God. It was the ultimate treasure housed in an earthen vessel. This puny man, but God was in him, using him. 
And that's how the Apostle Paul in today's lesson describes himself. A treasure, there's a treasure in this earthen vessel, he says. Uh, he had incredible success in planting churches and converting thousands to Christ. Yet uh, we know from this letter that there were false teachers there in Corinth that were criticizing him and trying to take his place because they wanted the money. And uh, they, they complained that he had no good appearance and didn't speak well and there just wasn't much to him. And Paul said, I have a treasure in this common vessel, this earthen body, this common, ordinary, inexpensive clay pot he used as an image for his physical body. But it has an incredible treasure. And so in today's lesson, he says, how did we ever plant hundreds of churches and convert thousands of people? Talking about himself and the apostles. We have this treasure within us, a treasure as if in an earthen vessel, a common, ordinary, inexpensive clay pot that they used back in the first century. Jesus talked about the treasure as well uh, in his parables in Matthew 13, 45 and 44 and 45. He explained the great value of this treasure that God has put in us the salvation into the kingdom. He says that treasure is like a man found a treasure hidden in a field and over joy he went and sold everything he had in order to buy that field so he could have that treasure. And in verse 45 he said it's also like a merchant seeking fine pearls but upon finding one pearl of great value in an ordinary oyster sold all that he had and bought it. The value of it is, is better than anything, Jesus said. And so this earthen vessel that Paul talks about here in chapter 4, verse 7, is the perfect image because the composition of the human body, as I said, is oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and various tr other trace elements, all of which make up moist dirt, <laughs> clay that they mold into these cheap clay pots. So it makes a great image, like you read in the creation account in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed man out of the dirt from the ground and breathed life into him. But God created man in his image and gave him the highest honor to rule over his creation and represent him on planet earth. So this earthen vessel, and God's put this treasure in it that Paul's talking about. And of course now in the church age that we live in now, uh, that Paul actually started, we who believe in Jesus have been given an awesome treasure in this common ordinary body. This, you know, body that we all have that's fallen apart. <laughs> That's going to eventually turn, you return to the dirt, the dust that God made it. God has invested in us this treasure that is just awesome and more valuable than anything else in the world. So look at the, the text with me. In chapter 4, if you remember uh, the comparisons, he, he's really into contrast in, in this uh, uh, letter. You know, he, he talked about uh, 
in, in ch uh, chapter 3 last week, we, we saw the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant had certain value, but the New Covenant has far surpassing value. And in today's lesson in chapter 4, the contrast will be between this common, ordinary body of ours and the incredible treasure that's within us. It's just incredible. So he starts out chapter 4 after talking about that new covenant that God has graced us with, the new covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, his atoning work on the cross. And now in chapter 4, in referring to that, since that's true, he says, therefore. It kind of ties chapter 4 in with chapter 3. Therefore, since we have this ministry, God has given us this New Testament, this new covenant ministry of grace to share with everyone else. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. He, he says, no one has gotten more mercy from God than him. Remember, he arrested Christians and was even having them executed. And yet, what did he deserve for that? Obviously, death himself. But what did God do? Mercifully, you know what mercy is, not getting what you deserve. We all experience that all the time, right? Lord, have mercy upon me. And so he says, God showed mercy on him, the chief of all sinners. And because that's true, he felt the need, the desire to share that with everyone else. And therefore, no matter what trials and tribulations he went through, and remember, this is the guy that was arrested everywhere he went, beaten up everywhere he went. Once he was stoned and left for dead, he was involved in every kind of problem and trouble and pain and suffering that you can imagine. And yet he said, back in chapter 1, our, our second lesson, if you remember, he was on death row. But he said, I don't, I don't give up. I don't lose heart. Why? Because God has shown mercy to me and has given me a ministry to reveal it to others. That treasure in this common, ordinary person, Paul. We receive mercy, and so we do not lose heart. But, verse 2, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation, by, but by revealing the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's a long, involved sentence, isn't it? But what he's saying is, all the stuff that I held dear when I was a Pharisee, remember Paul was a Pharisee. Those guys were the keepers of the law of Moses. And... They were the guys that stood up and said, we've got it all together. We keep the law. We do the good works. We're the religious people. And he says, we've renounced, I've renounced all of that. The very idea that I used to have that I could be saved by my own works. I renounce it. It couldn't happen. It was wrong. I have something new now to share. So we have renounced those things uh, because of the shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. So we're not like the false teachers in Corinth. 
We didn't come in with an agenda, very crafty, sneaky, trying to sell something, trying to make some money like they are. He's taking a good shot at them. And we're not butchering or adding to or altering the word of God like they are. They're taking the word of God and changing it, moving it, so that it suits their needs and their agenda. We are expositing, we're revealing it to you just as it is, as it was told to us, the true gospel, the word of God, by the manifestation revealing of the truth. And the word here is absolute truth. This is not just some knowledge or some truth, any truth. You know, the world tells you today truth is relative. Back in the 20th century, there was no truth, supposedly. Now they switched it to postmodernism is uh, everybody's got a different truth. Make up your own truth. Truth is relative. But Paul is talking about the absolute truth. And what is that? It's the word of God. And that's what he's sharing. We're sharing the word of God, the absolute truth that God has given us. And we're commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so uh, he said earlier, he said, these false teachers, in last week's lesson, the false teachers, if you remember, had come with letters of recommendation from who, I don't know. But, you know, these are really good guys, and you should listen to them. Paul said, you know what my letter of recommendation is? Changed lives. His disciples' lives were changed. That's his letter. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God is alive, and it changes your life as it works and changes you from the inside out. And so that's their commendation as people turn to the Lord after they hear the truth. Verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, he's referring to chapter 3. He said, using the image of Moses when he came down from the mountain and he had the glory of God and he put the veil over it. Uh, he says, the gospel is veiled to those who refuse to believe it. In other words, they can't see it. It's, it's closed. They're blind to it. They're spiritually blind. The people that he shares with that will not believe it, that reject the truth, they're spiritually blind is what he's saying here in verse 3. And, and why? He goes on to say, in whose case? Why can't they hear it? Why, why are they blind? Verse 4, in whose case the God of this world and, of course, who's that? The adversary of God. Uh, when Satan fell from heaven, uh, God allowed him on planet Earth as an adversary to give God's creation, his human beings that he created in his image, a choice between the adversary's ways and God's ways. You choose to obey God or you go along with the rest of the world who's following the adversary of God. All those in rebellion to God who do not believe in God are in that realm of the world. 
And so he says the God, God has a, the God of heaven, almighty God, has given him this realm, so to speak, to rule over, of course, with restraint, but letting him be active here, and in, in, they're in league with him, in whose case the God of this world has blinded. They're spiritually blind because they're with him, and he's controlling them, and they've gone his way. He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now one of the schemes of the devil that he uses to blind people, you probably heard this but maybe it's been a while, but Paul Harvey a few years ago before he died uh, on the radio, remember the radio program Paul Harvey had? Yeah. He, he wrote a deal and read it on his radio program, and it goes like this. If I were the devil, I would gain control of the most powerful nation in the world. I would delude their minds into thinking that they had come from man's effort instead of God's blessings. I would promote an attitude of loving things and using people instead of the other way around. I would dupe entire states into relying on gambling for their state revenue. I would convince people that character is not an issue when it comes to leadership. I would make it legal to take the life of unborn babies. I would make it socially acceptable to take one's own life and invent machines to make it convenient. I would take God out of the schools where even the mention of his name was grounds for a lawsuit. I would come up with the drugs that sedate the mind and target the young and I would get sports heroes to advertise them. I would get control of the media so that every night I could pollute the mind of every family member for my agenda. I would attack the family, the backbone of any nation. I would make divorce acceptable and easy, even fashionable. If the family crumbles, so does the nation. I would compel people to express their most depraved fantasies on canvas and movie screens, and I'd call it art. And I would convince the world that people are born homosexuals and that their lifestyles should be accepted. I would convince the people that right and wrong were determined by a few who call themselves authorities and refer to their agenda as politically correct. And I would persuade people that the church is irrelevant and out of date and the Bible is only for the naive. I would dull the minds of Christians and make them believe that prayer is not important and that faithfulness and obedience are optional. You know what? I guess I'd just leave things pretty much the way they are. <laughs> but that's the world, and that, that's my point, and that's what Paul's saying. That's the way the world is, and the God of this world rules over that realm. And so the people that are in that realm are blind, deaf, to the truth of the gospel. And so verse 5, in, in contrast to that, he says, what, what does Paul do? Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves. We're not promoting ourselves like these false teachers at Corinth. What is he doing? We do not preach ourselves. We preach we preach Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants. You know what a bondservant is? They, they had slavery in those days, 
But this is a, a bondservant is someone who sells themselves into slavery. They owe such a huge debt that they can never pay, and so they go into service for the person that they owe it to. And so the authors of the New Testament liken themselves to bondservants. They have such a huge debt to Jesus that they sell them out, sells out completely to serve him. And they're bondservants, sold out for Jesus' sake. For God said, God who said, verse 6, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Light and darkness. In the Gospel of John, John says that Jesus came into a dark world. Remember his conversation with Nicodemus? And after he shared with him, he said, it's very difficult to believe. Why? Because this is a dark world. And people tend to do a lot of evil deeds in the darkness, behind the closed doors. And they don't want the light to come in and shine on it and reveal the truth. And so they'd rather be in the darkness. They don't want the light to shine on it, so they rejected Jesus. But Jesus is the light in many ways. He's the moral, ethical light. He's the perfect example sent from God to reveal what does God expect? What does God want? Jesus is the perfect example. He enlightens us as to the truth that we need to know that we're all, we all have a great need for the Lord. We're nothing if we're not in that relationship with God. And he has provided his son as the means and the basis by which we can enter into that relationship. We can be forgiven and enter into an eternal relationship with the living God that we were originally created to have. And God has, in his grace, given us that provision in Jesus Christ. So they preach Christ is Lord, and Jesus brings the light. All of a sudden, you know, if you've ever been studying the Word, or maybe you were trying to understand some problem, and it was finally explained to you, and the light bulb came on. You ever have that? And you went, oh, now I get it. That's what Jesus did. That's what the gospel does. You've been living your whole life. You had no idea what meaning and purpose was. What, you, what are we doing here? You know, who created, and all of a sudden, you have the truth. You're enlightened. Jesus is the light. And he came into the darkness to reveal the truth, to reveal what's moral and ethical and true and good. Jesus shall shine out of, out of the darkness, and he is the one who has shone in our hearts. So within us, our spirit is, is alive now because of Christ. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God, what an awesome writer this guy is. 
You know, I read this stuff and I said, who can write this stuff? I mean, I've read all the great novels, you know, that uh, have ever been written just about, not really. But I've, re I've read a lot of them. And those guys are great writers. They can't even suit up with this. This is so far beyond anything any man's ever written. I don't see how people can read and study this and not see that. It's just totally awesome. The, thing, the way they write and the things they write are so profound and so awesome that it's just mind-blowing to me. There's no other explanation other than that God inspired this. And so he has been given this stewardship to share that light in his ministry. And this is how he has been so effective and has planted so many churches and why so many people have come and been saved and their lives changed. And they are his letter of commendation, recommendation. So he says in verse 7, this treasure, we have this treasure, and we talk, we've been talking about this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness, why would God do it that way? Why would he take some common clay pot like me or you or Paul and put this incredible treasure in it? Why would he do that? He explains it that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. See, the Pharisees, if you thought you were saved by works, then you'd be strutting around, look what I did, look who I am, look what I've accomplished, look at my performance. But when God takes a sinner like Paul and does something awesome like this, Paul knows that God has done something incredible and all the glory goes to God. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 2, Paul uh, writes to the church at Corinth and he said, you knew when you saw me, when I came into Corinth, he said, I was scared to death. I was trembling in fear. I was by myself. You know, I'd gotten beaten up in all these other places and laughed out of Athens and I walked in by myself to Corinth and I was trembling with fear. And I shared the gospel, not persuasive words of wisdom, he says. He was not a great order. He didn't look like much, but he said in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit spoke through him and revealed the gospel to his audience, they believed it. And Paul said, that's incredible that they would believe anything I said. But he said, but I know that it's God that was speaking to them, and the message was what was important and not what Paul looked like. The message was alive and able to change lives. And Paul said, you know that this gospel that you believed in is of God because... <laughs> You saw me what a wreck I was, and it couldn't have been from me. You know that you have the Spirit of God working in you. And so he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing 
greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. It's not about me and who I am and what I've done. It's about what God has done. And all the glory goes to him. So it's a great image. The treasure, what is the treasure? Well, if you look in the previous six verses, you can see. Look at verse 1, the ministry. Verse 2, the word of God, the manifestation of truth. Verse 3, the gospel. Verse 4, the light, the light that came into their lives. They were enlightened. Verse 5, Christ Jesus as Lord. Verse 6 again, the light shone out of the darkness and they revealed the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the treasure is the gospel and the truth of the word of God about salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. This message that Paul was given to share with the whole Gentile world there around the Mediterranean Sea. And of course, it's a great image for him to call himself an earthen vessel because he's just a common, ordinary man, doesn't look very good. Uh, church tradition says he was uh, short and dumpy and bald and I don't know what else. He had a squeaky voice. And yet he had the message from God and the Spirit of God speaking through them. And God not only spoke through Paul, but he opened the hearts and minds of Paul's audience. And so God was at work, and all glory went to God. You know, God's another image that he uses uh, in one of his other letters. He says, God, the way God uses us in the ministry is a lot like a sailboat. It's up to you to put up the sail, but the wind fills it and moves it along. You can't see the wind, but you know it's there moving you. That's like the Spirit of God in you. How do you and I make this treasure ours? How do we, what do we do to have this treasure as Paul had it? Three steps, I would say. And again, using the image of the clay pot. Take that, that empty clay pot. First of all, it's got to be available, right? You can't use a clay pot if it's not available. What I mean by that, we have to show up. We have to show up, make ourselves available for his service. Secondly, that vessel, that clay pot, has got to be clean. Nobody wants to use a dirty pot dirty cup it's got to be clean in the same way we we've got to clean up our lives god can't use us if we're involved in sin that separates us from god so you got to clean up your life clean up your act and god will use you and thirdly and this is the hard one so listen up you got to be empty to use a clay pot, to use a cup, it's got to be empty. You're not going to put liquid or food in it if it's not empty. Our lives are too full of ourselves. If, 
If our lives are all about ourselves and all of our activities and our agenda, God can't use us. Our lives have got to be empty. We've got to leave room for God in our life. Available, clean, and empty. And one more thing. When you consider, you're thinking, well, this is is this message for us? No, every biblical character went through this same thing that Paul's talking about. Consider all the weaknesses of all the biblical characters. Now, you could go through every single one of them. In the very beginning, Abraham and Sarah. Remember them? Sarah was barren, and they were 100 years old. They didn't have any children, but God used them to form an entire nation of Israel. Jacob, their grandson, was a liar and a crook, but God humbled him, changed his life, and reformed him. Joseph, his son, was a proud kind of a showboat, had that coat of many colors and bragged to his brothers, but God used him to save Israel. David was a ruddy teenager. God used him to defeat Goliath and rule over Israel. How about Jesus Christ's mother, Mary? Mary was a poor, humble teenager from a podunk town. I remember the first time I went over there to Israel, we're driving down the bus, and, and you know, if you blinked, you missed it. The guy said, that was Nazareth. What? Where? What? <laughs> it's on the side of a hill, you know. But God used Mary to be the mother of, of the only begotten Son of God. The disciples that he called, they were ignorant fishermen. Paul was a persecutor of the church and a murderer. And last of all, Lazarus, remember Lazarus? Lazarus was dead and God used him. So what's your excuse? <laughs> right? Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with this treasure. Like David, we've we got to say, Lord, who are we that you would bless us in this way, that you would love us like this? And so we praise you and thank you, Lord. And as Paul said, you've shown me mercy, and I want everyone else to know that mercy. Lord, please let us have that treasure so that we might share it with the world and the people around us. We praise you, Lord, for giving us that blessing of that treasure in this earthen vessel. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.